Hi everyone, and welcome to the Adventures of OT podcast. Thank you for being a part of this community. I'd like to send a big thank you to everyone who is listening. It means so much to me. Thank you to those who've subscribed and to those sharing on their social media platforms. If you haven't, please do hit the subscribe or follow button. You can also follow us on our social media at The Adventures of OT on Instagram and on Facebook. Lastly, I'd like to thank all of you who share your opinions as well as your views either through DMs or private messaging. I'm so excited that we are in season two and this wouldn't have been possible without you guys, the listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for providing your feedback within season one. So season two takes a bit of a turn and we look at, you know, some occupational therapists and occupational therapy students who are doing some great things and we just want to, you know, shine the light on them. So do come with me on this journey as we discover and uncover um, as well as learn about these occupational therapists and students who are doing phenomenal work. This week we have fourth year occupational therapy students who were published on the FOCUS official newsletter of OTASA. So this newsletter focuses on varied topics, one being COVID reflections, and our guests today will be sharing their research studies as to how COVID-19 affected people's occupations as well as their engagement in occupations. This newsletter also focuses on, you know, varied um, topics such as the beauty of meditation, being an OT, and return to work after stroke. So if you are interested in, um, you know, reading this article, do look it up on the OTASA website. Our first writer is Zaria Williams. She is a fourth year occupational therapy student at the University of the Western Cape. Hi, Zaria. Hi, Kanye. How are you doing? I'm good in yourself. I'm good, thank you. Would you kindly <laughs> please share your research topic with us and then also just share what led you to decide on this research topic? Okay. Um, so my topic is um, the perceptions and experiences of educators in South Africa on the adaptation of their roles and routines in order to participate in work during the COVID-19 pandemic. And what led me to this research topic? Um, so my sister is a teacher and I saw how her ability to actually do her job was negatively influenced by the low socioeconomic um, status of the children at her school. And they didn't have access to the digital devices that it's required for online learning. So therefore, she wasn't able to do her job at all. And then I noticed on social media that um, children at well-resourced schools, they were able to continue with teaching and learning online. And then I just thought that it would be interesting to compare the data as it will, like, once again, highlight the inequalities that exist in the education system. 
Yeah. That is actually such a, a brilliant way to look at it because, um, you know, we all went on with this online learning and we all yeah, jumped yeah. in and we sort of forgot about everyone else who isn't well res- resourced. Mm. Mm. Um, could you maybe shed some light as to um, what type of research maybe you found about online learning and, you know, the injustices that we f- we face within the South African context and how those influenced, um, you know, the learners who were unable to have those resources or access to online resources? So obviously, you're in South Africa, they, um, there's a lot of inequalities that exist. There's a lot of low um, socioeconomic communities and children that live in very poor circumstances. And not all of them have access to the digital devices required for online learning. And even if they do, I mean, you also require data, which is expensive. And that's why not all children will be able to you know, participate in online learning. Mm, that is so true. So, you know... <laughs> I found this online researching quite challenging, to be quite honest. Yeah. It was also similar to yours, where I wanted to know um, how teachers were basically engaging in their occupation of teaching mm. um, yeah. in during the pandemic. So what challenges did you have to overcome having to conduct your research online? Okay. So I conducted um, um, semi-structured interviews with my participants and three of the interviews were online via Zoom and the other three were in person because I knew those three quite well and they also lived in the same area as me. So that's why those interviews were in person. Okay, and, so before we carry on, sorry to cut you off, what okay. is a semi-structured interview for someone who doesn't know anything about research? Okay, so beforehand, you would just have a list of questions that will guide your conversation, but it's not like formal. You will allow for that person um to to ask you questions so you're not the only one asking questions they can also ask you questions mm-hmm. so it's just a list of interview um, of questions that guide the conversation yeah so why would you say this is maybe the best approach or why, oh and why or rather why did you make use of this approach um semi um structured interviews involves like open ended questions and that will just allow for the conversation to flow so that's why I chose that form of um, data collection. Yeah, actually, that is very true. So bring it back to the challenges that you had to overcome. Um, oh, what yes. are the challenges? Okay, so like I said, um, three of the interviews were online via Zoom and the other three were in person. And I wasn't familiar with half of the participants. So I was very nervous to conduct those interviews um, online because my interpersonal skills are not that great and I was expected to lead the conversation and I had to immediately get used to conducting the interviews through that um, medium of communication and for me Zoom is very upfront and it's kind of personal so I was very nervous about that but yeah that there weren't any other challenges besides that. Mm-hmm. So you're saying like you didn't know like half of your participants. Yes, so maybe yes. just take a those steps that you had to you know you had to take to find these participants a friend of mine um he teaches at a a well-resourced school and he he's obviously an educator and then he just gave me a few contexts of educators at well-resourced schools so then I just messaged all of them and then I asked them if they'd be willing to participate via whatsapp and once they agreed then I just sent them a consent form and an information letter via email 
so that they know what exactly the study is about and then what will be required of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would you say that all the participants that you sent letters to were willing to be a part of the yes, study? Yes, they were all willing to be a part, yeah. And they were also, like, um, um, very interested in the data. Mm, true. I also found that that was the case um, on my side. Um, you know, I didn't have participants saying no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah, I was so neither. thankful for. I was so grateful for that. Yeah. So whilst transcribing your data, what were the, you know, the common feelings that you'd say the educators um, shared that you identified? Um, everyone had difficulty uh, adjusting to a, a new routine um, since they didn't have like the same work hours, which was from eight to three. So they were now at home and mm-hmm. like all of the educators, they longed for things to return to normal because they missed their routine of going to work and having a day filled with activities and they also missed their um, interaction with the staff and the learners and um, feelings of uncertainty and frustration were very common amongst all of the participants as none of them knew when exactly schools were going to reopen. Yeah, so those were the things that was common among everyone. Yeah. So you looked at schools that, you know, were uh, in a low socioeconomic um, yes, standing. But, but both I looked at well-resourced schools and under-resourced schools. So in low socioeconomic communities and high socioeconomic um, economic so communities. With those educators in you know your low socioeconomic um, environment, mm-hmm. did you find that um, they had more of these feelings because yes, you know, obviously yes. they couldn't reach the students yes, to even yes. engage with them on WhatsApp or yes. yeah, yes, yes, I, yeah. So, um, like. I think two of them, they weren't able to do their work at all because um, they didn't even have the, the numbers of the, the parents of the learners. So they couldn't, you know, give homework or send activities. So that was very difficult for them. And then the one educator, she still had the contact numbers of the educator so she could send work via WhatsApp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are the educators that were at low... Um, uh, sorry, that word, under-resourced schools. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it brings me to my next question where I, I really want to ask you, do you think, um, you know, teaching online was conducive for South African learners? And is it still conducive um, seeing that, you know, a number of um, schools and, and even jobs really are looking to, to go more online? Um, the answer is definitely, definitely no. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, not all of the children have access to the same resources and um, the findings indicated that children at well-resourced schools were once again a step of ahead of the children at under-resourced schools so they were placed at a disadvantage and they weren't able to learn at all so I don't think mm-hmm. that um, online teaching is the answer for South Africa at this point in time. Yeah I, I totally totally agree um, because I'm just thinking about some of my own cousins who, um, you know, haven't been getting that school material. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and it, it's so sad because it's like, oh, my word, they could be studying or they could be doing mm. something yeah. um, conducive, but they don't have the work and, and the teachers can't get a hold of them. And yeah, so I, I totally agree with you on that on that standpoint. 
So now I want to make it a bit more personal because you're a fourth year OT student and you had to, you know, study online as well, you know, do yeah. research um, and everything else. Um, so how has it been studying online? What challenges have you p- faced personally? Um, I have to say I was very fortunate, actually, because I have um, Wi-Fi um and that helped a lot. I also had my friends who I could message via WhatsApp and they also replied. So I have to be honest, I didn't have a lot of challenges. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So you didn't even have like anxiety of having to, to study online or... <laughs> no, not at all. I'm going to be very honest with you. I was actually, I was enjoying the free time. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, because OT was very um, you know, we worked long hours, and and then after after block we had to come home and do work, but we didn't have that during this time. So yeah, firstly, I want to congratulate you again for you know being published. I think this is such a great legacy that you've already you know put your stamp on 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 there. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Kanye. Yeah, um, so I'm looking forward to more publications <laughs> about Zari Williams. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so where do you see yourself branching into, you know, within the OT profession? Um, definitely a researcher. I discovered this um, this year only. Um, I was very passionate about the topic and I was, like, excited to actually do the research. So that's why I think I would... Um, I want to be a researcher within the OT profession, but obviously I would have to get my PhD. Um, but yeah, that's where I see myself now. But things might change. I'm not like set on anything yet, but that's kind of where I'm at now at the moment. Girl, you know, the sky is the limit. <laughs> um, it's not even the limit. It's just the view. You can go beyond the yes. sky. Yes. So I yes. that you can do it. Um, thank you so much, Zaria, for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. So, where can people um maybe get a hold of you if they'd like to um you know contact you, or maybe just where can they reach you or go read your um publication? Um. Well, I people can get a hold of me via Instagram. Um. They should just search Zaria Williams and should be able to find me. Brianna will be reading um, her um, research topic for us, just the introduction. Okay, so the topic of my research was university students' perceptions and experiences of satisfaction with their social well-being during lockdown 2020 South Africa. And the introduction is as follows. Human beings require social connectedness with others to survive. Lockdown 2020 kept South African university students from participating in friend-based physical socialization. Thus, the question arose of how university students perceive their social well-being during this time. The objectives of the study were to describe enablers and barriers to social well-being, the adaptations in socialization, to maintain social well-being and how different home environments impacted their social well-being during lockdown. 
I Rina, you know what? I really loved your um your topic um and I really enjoyed the um reading it. Um and I understand and I really know that you know you're a social being. So how did you handle, you know, um the lockdown restrictions? Sure. To be honest, at the beginning it was really tough for me. Um as Kanye said, I um you're probably the most social person that you can think of and I my my phone was constantly on charge I was phoning people the whole day and video calling people and figuring out ways how to play games over the phone and we had apps like house party and we were playing games and um I think I was I, I think I am lucky to live at home with my family because I have them around me. I can't think of what it would have been like for people living alone. But um, yeah, I think I was driving them up the walls as well with asking them to to play games with me and to to talk to me. And um, yeah, it was really tough. But, and I had some breakdowns. <laughs> but I, yeah, I kept in contact with people all the time. And I, I let people know that I'm struggling. And I asked them if they could please make an effort for me and chat to me over the phone. And um, as soon as we were allowed to go exercising, my friends knew they needed to come exercise with me just so I can get that three hours of um, social participation. And yeah, I made an effort of looking after my well-being because it's something that yeah is very important to me. So you mentioned like such an important point where you said, you verbalized and you let people know that or you let people know when you were struggling um do you feel that everyone has that or has that courage to do so or how did it influence you positively that you were able to verbalize that you know um guys I am struggling so please do reach out yeah I don't know I don't think everyone does verbalize that I know my sister was maybe not verbalizing everything and so um, people maybe like her as well would have struggled a bit more. Um, and I am someone who is quite sensitive to how other people are feeling. So I was able to go to her and, you know, talk to her and say, how are you doing? And yeah, we ended up becoming really good friends during this, this lockdown time because um, we really could relate to each other during the time. And I think many people was going through the same things Um yeah, even if someone wasn't as social as I am, they really needed their mm-hmm. friends. And yeah, and I don't think everyone did vocalize that because I think a lot of people did. It did hit them quite badly, um, especially their social well-being, um, which is what my study was on. But yeah, just how people were doing overall, it was not that great. And this was outside of the study, just talking to friends and talking to people that that my my parents are in contact with it was really evident that people's social well-being um and their perception and their satisfaction of it was not satisfactory to to them Mm. so obviously you and your sister um you know have different personalities and like you're saying Mm. you were able to verbalize that um you know, you needed people to reach out and maybe she didn't necessarily always say when she needed people to reach out. Mm-hmm. So how would you say one's personality influences, you know, their social engagement and how did then the pandemic 
um, hinder or enable um, people's personalities? Yeah. Uh, it was quite interesting. In my study, I had people who were more extroverted and then I did have people who were more introverted in the study. And the one day I was interviewing the one of the very, very introverted participants, he, I asked him, but, you know, don't, who are you pot- socially participating with? What, um, who are you phoning? Who are you video calling, talking to? And he said, he's one friend. And I said, okay, y'all, how often? And he said, no, um, just when his friend messages him. And I told him, but, or I asked him, but, so you don't spend time with anyone besides just over the phone and he said no just with his family and he said it's more than enough for him and then I asked him about but at university because he lives in a residency and it's very um you have to be involved there and you have lots of um get-togethers and meetings and you are quite social when you live in res and um he said well he actually gets really tired of the interaction, the social interaction when he is living on res. And um, this, he prefers this much more. So, yo, I think to a big extent, personality that influence how people coped during this time and the, you know, the differences in personality. But I also, yeah, I had um, four yeah, four more extroverted people and then one more introverted person and even yeah there was one person who was more of an ambivert as well um, but even that person also struggled during this time because it was it was difficult for that person as well to um, have a good social well-being because of the lack of social participation so I don't know what the stats are but I don't think I know so many um excessive introverts like that other person um but yeah my sister is also an introvert and she ended up struggling as well and yeah I um with my family as well my parents they stay at home and or during this time and work from home and I've started encouraging them to go and socialize with with people so every weekend I ask them um who are you gonna go do what with this weekend who are you gonna see make sure that they tell me who they're gonna see because um during lockdown, I saw some episodes where, where the family was sad, you know, it was kind of like depressive episodes in the house and me trying to coach everyone and tell them, well, you actually have to spend time with other people. It can't just be the same people all the time. Um, and really actually seeing the fruits of them going out and them coming back and then telling stories of what they did the day and who they saw and sure, funny stories when they went on little adventures with other people. And yeah, it's really something that we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't, you know, take for granted or rather just um, not do. We should engage in, in social participation. Um, yeah. And I suppose um, the influence is obviously also your personality, you know, you, um, you know, cu- encouraging your parents to go out and engage with other people. Yeah, I think it's because it's something that's really important to me and something if I don't get it, I immediately see I get sad and I don't have um, motivation to do work. I don't have motivation to do pretty much anything. So the moment that people are not taking part in the social participation, especially people close to me, I make a point of telling them, 
you need to start actually seeing people. Um, this is not good for you. And I sometimes I will even show them the the PEO model and you know look at look at the different parts of the occupations and tell them look social participation is an occupation and all occupations should be in balance. So if we're not doing this um social participation, we are gonna see imbalance and we are gonna see a dissatisfaction with social well being. Um but then again, you yeah, not too much social participation either because then you don't have time for your work. But um, majority of the time, I just see people having a lack of social participation and then that, that influences them negatively in that way. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to social participation, though, would you say, because for instance, there are people who socially engage at work as well. Mm -hmm. um, how, what difference between, you know, that engagement at work and engagement with close family and friends yeah that was also quite interesting so for a long time my parents had meetings um with regards to their work and you know they were tired at the end of the day at each day even you're not going into work but they were tired because it was talking 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 and at the end of each day because we had off if i remember correctly at the first maybe three weeks of the of the of the lockdown then i wasn't having class so we didn't have any meetings with people and so i needed to i'm going to talk about like a social tank i needed to keep filling that social tank with with the friends because i didn't have the the part where we engage in in work and i was i was also thinking about before the pandemic we used to go to block every day. We used to go to the hospital and we spent eight hours at the hospital talking to people, talking to the clients, talking to other health professionals. And you engaged a lot with people. And then you still came home and you still had your um, engagement with your family or with extramural activities and the people there. So it was a lot of engagement with, with other people. And um, mm. for it to suddenly have just stopped was quite a, a shock I think to many people and also to me um, but I do yeah I do think that the, the social participation that you get at work also does fill your social participation um, tank a little. I actually completely agree with you you know we were so used to working every day with um, a number of people within the MDT and obviously with clients and then when you know we had to go home or some of us had to stay on res or in our flats and and and, and so on um you find that you know you're spending a lot of time with your thoughts which is obviously not a bad thing um so you know my friends and I tried to stay in contact a lot quite a bit over the lockdown period um but you know what would you say then um are the you know the maybe the negative effects that came with this virtual communication? The negative effects with virtual communication. Do you know? I think people started getting a little bit lazy, um, with regards to actually seeing people, because at the beginning I would ask people. It was I think level three. I would ask my friends if we can do something, and they say, "Well, we can just you know." video call each other uh, I, hmm. because we got so used to just video calling each other and you know mm -hmm. it was kind of it's comfortable you're in your home you, you're 
can stay in your pajamas and you don't have to get out. So yeah, to an extent, I think we got lazy. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, but also it's difficult with, with online social participation because um, I, I don't engage the same way with other people that I would if it was face-to-face in person, not over video call. Because when someone is talking to me, I I love to talk with them and say mm and ah and, you know, really engage in the conversation. But on the phone, I have to keep quiet while they're speaking. Otherwise, I miss half of what they're saying. So that was also quite something that I didn't enjoy. And I'm glad that I can see people in person again. And then obviously we have the issues with Wi-Fi and cutting out and, you know, load shedding plays also a big role because now everyone is at home and the, yeah, even at work because people have to work now and if load shedding happens, then people can't actually work online anymore. I think for me personally, when it came to us, you know, engaging with people virtually, I, I, I literally used to get so many headaches because we had, you know, your online classes and yeah. then you need to sit in front of your laptop for hours on end, maybe working on your schoolwork and so forth. And for me, that really impacted even my eyesight um, to an extent, um, as well as my health, because now I was constantly sitting in front of a laptop for hours on end. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I I can add in, I also experienced headaches. and But also, my back was getting sore from sitting all the time because we, as occupational therapists, we don't sit the whole time, or as students. We move around and you walk from this ward to that ward or from this class to that class, and um, you're on your feet the whole time. And it's it's much more active than what this this more sedentary kind of, life where you work behind your laptop or sit behind your laptop and work on it all the time and that's something that's been universal as well I've gotten also a lot of complaints for from the social circles that I'm in with people saying no they need to actually strengthen their stomach muscles again because their backs are getting so sore because of just sitting in the chair the whole day I totally agree with that I I actually looked up some um exercises um, or stretches rather and I also had a friend who sent me back stretches that I could use because my back was really really hurting yeah so Rihanna you know you conducted this research online um, mm-hmm. what challenges would you say you experienced whilst you you know were trying to 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 get all of this data for your research okay so I had to narrow it down to a group that I could reach easily and that was students because my social circles mostly consist of people that people that are still studying um and so I I had to do the social participation um in the age group of like students um so I couldn't actually do the study say now if I wanted to do it on younger children because I'm sure that they would also have experienced difference in their social well-being um, prior to the lockdown and then in the lockdown because I they haven't been just, playing with their friends. Yeah. 
yeah to cut you off there for for a second i remember i spoke to my cousins who are obviously in high school and primary and they really yeah you know they, they this really impacted them because now they couldn't even go outside um to go play with yeah. their friends yeah that's rough and for a child to video call another child that's not really going to help them <laughs> i don't think and having imagine that trying to have a play session we have a screen from this person to the other person and wherever they stay um trying to have them play together i don't think that it works so well exactly and that but um dependent on whether or not um the kids have you know access to cell phones yeah and that was also another challenge um because my group of my sample group population group of people that i was was able to interview had to be people that had access to enough data so that we could have the video calls um because i decided that i wanted to interview people over zoom and so that actually limited my um yeah the people that i could work with and i was also thinking that the people who i was researching and asking you know to be part of my study they do have access to wifi and they do have access to enough data to talk to their friends over the phone and keep in contact and then i did wonder as well how would it be for someone if they didn't have access to enough data so that they could maybe phone their friends and you know talk to them and i think that's something that a lot of older people will experience because the, the older generation necessarily all have phones and they don't necessarily all have you know data as well because maybe yeah a lot of them live in old age homes and you know they usually interact with each other there and now suddenly they couldn't eat together in the eating halls and things like that and they don't phone people as much as we do um and that's also from just personal experience from um grandparents that i have um they really struggled with this lockdown as well because like i said they couldn't go to the eating halls and they weren't allowed to visit their neighbors and those are the things that they do all the time and that was really tough for them as well so yeah my study was in the group of um university students but i think it would have also given much different results if it was in a different age group but just because of convenience and this was the the people that i had contact mm-hmm. easy contact with this was the the group that i chose to work with mm-hmm. rena you know um it seems as though you really enjoyed the do you at any point you saw mm-hmm. um maybe getting your phd not at the moment <laughs> um yeah the research was quite interesting and if it's something that i'm passionate about i would probably maybe you know carry on with studies but i think for me the next step say after studying and after community service year is doing something like um what's that i forgot what it's called now mm sensory integration oh, yeah. and and that's not a that's not a phd so i 
yeah, for the near future, I see myself doing sensory integration course, but I don't, I haven't actually thought about the the next step, but I'm sure that um, if there is something that I am really passionate about after when I start working, then I then I would not mind to, you know, maybe pursue a master's degree in something. Um, but PhD, sure, I don't know yet. Eh? <laughs> Where can people get a hold of you if they would like to, you know, make contact with you? I'm mariensie.bia at gmail.com. I'll spell it. R-E-E-N-S-I-E dot B at gmail.com. Um, and I don't have Instagram. But I am on Facebook, Brianna Burger. And I'm the one with the blonde. <laughs> Influences of animal companionship on university students through the care of pets during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. Her aim was to explore the perspectives and lived experiences of university students who engaged in the occupation of pets and animal companionship during the lockdown period. Hi, Cara, how are you? Hi, Kanya, I'm well, thanks to you. I'm good, thank you. So I'd like you to actually dig deep um, with regards to this research topic. You know, what led you to decide that, you know, you want to um, do this particular research study? You know, when we found out that we would be doing an individual thesis and not the originally planned group's thesis, over which I was immensely excited, I was quite honestly, I think the base word would be distraught. Um, then one afternoon, I was pondering which topic would be best suited, seeing as it was a requirement to incorporate COVID-19. And then I took a look at my three dogs cuddled on my lap. And I remembered a conversation that I had had with one of my closest friends in the beginning of the lockdown period. This friend had been struggling with her own mental health for quite some time. And as can be expected, the lockdown period didn't make this any easier for her. However, shortly before the lockdown level five began, she made the decision to adopt a dog. And only after a few days with her new family member, she couldn't stop talking about how positively this dog had influenced not only her own life and eased her own mental health strains, but this dog had also benefited the entire household throughout that challenging time. And of course, then I realized that, you know, some people have pets and others did not. And then I started to figure that those with pets might have had similar experiences to my friend and that they inevitably had possibly a more pleasant lockdown experience. So then from this perspective um, on a pet's ability to assist in easing the strains of mental health and then under the guidance of my research supervisor, the final topic therefore aimed to determine, you know, the manners in which having owned pets increased health in all spheres and not just mental health, you know, so physical, emotional and mental health. And then, of course, how this assists in your quality of life. So then, of course, I had to make this at least, you know, OT-based. So then I looked at the occupation of care of pets, which is an instrumental activity of daily living, which we all know. And then I just made the existing, um, or I made the links between that and the existing field of occupational therapy that is animal-assisted therapy, which is a field that you can specialize in. So yeah, that's where it came from. 
I actually, when I, I, I was reading through your guys's um, um, articles, I was like, oh my word, you know, I never thought of this um, research topic of, of a pet. And, you know, so um, I know that pets play such a vital role in people's lives. And like, like we say, for instance, if an elderly is, you know, they live on their own, we tend to, to suggest that one should get a pet for that elderly. Yes, that's really true because um, this is actually so funny because this happened with my grandparents. Um, live on a farm and my grandma and my grandpa lived together. And during the lockdown period, of course, they couldn't see their friends and their family. And like you said, for an elderly person, it's, it might be even more important to have some sort of you know, animal companionship. And although they did have pets, um, already they had two dogs they later on got a um a puppy and the amazingly positive effects that this puppy had on my grandparents is honestly something that you could write a book about and I mean I'm sure there are multiple books on this but it was just so amazing to see this and especially in a time where I had just recently finished the study it was just another you know, just another confirmation of the incredible power that animal companionship does have. Yeah, certainly. And I can imagine that, you know, the pet, um, the puppy is actually keeping them on their toes. It's like having a baby in the house. Exactly, exactly. It's just all around beneficial to them. Yeah. So did you at any point maybe compare your study um, with, with individuals who don't have pets or did you just focus on individuals who have pets in their homes? So because this study, you know, it, it was very limited in terms of um, it was just one person doing it. And we also had a page limit. Um, it was very difficult to do both sides. So it is something I considered. Um, but unfortunately, I could only focus on the one side where people did have pets. And I did base my study on how having pets um, influenced students specifically, because I felt that I could you know, ask questions based on my own experiences. But it was one of my recommendations that um, a future study could be conducted where a comparison occurs between those that did have pets and those that didn't. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, you know, you're mentioning that there was a page limit and you were working alone. What other challenges did you have to overcome, you know, to conduct this research study online? So I think... You know, not being able to physically interact with the participants was a challenge because I was concerned that they weren't be able to receive the questions that I was asking. You know, the qualitative questions are very open-ended questions. And because I had to ask them over a Google Forms questionnaire, I was afraid that they wouldn't be received by the participants as intended. And then this would obviously result that some of the answers that they give might be skewed or that the data might end up being skewed rather. Um, so I just had to have lots of measures in place where I, for example, under each question, I would have a description of the question where I give a bit more, um, you know, insight into what it is I'm actually asking that they just, that I just could for my own sake, be sure that I was um, asking the question in the most effective way possible. And I also found it quite difficult to not be able to physically interact with my research supervisor as per the social distancing guidelines. Because I found it difficult to do this, you know, to have to ask my questions virtually. Because, of course, you know, the supervisors are also people and they were also going through the lockdown. Mm -hmm. 
and they also had their own challenges. So a lot of times I did feel that I might have been, um, you know, just another thing that the supervisors had to worry about. And I couldn't necessarily ask all my questions in one place in a in-person consultation. And then I think one of the biggest things that I really did struggle with was my own mental health. You know, I think most of us really did struggle. It, it was an incredibly challenging time. And then having the daunting task of completing an individual research study that was intended to be complete in a group setting, all whilst in the middle of a pandemic was definitely quite the challenge. And I feel that could equate to being a young child learning to ride a bicycle but without having the training wheels first, you know, it was like getting on a bike with absolutely no baby steps to get there. And as challenging as it was, I do feel in hindsight that I'm thankful for the process um, because it really was a rewarding feeling to submit this and know that it was my own, you know. The questions that you ask the participants, because, you know, with the research, you don't want to influence your participants' um um, with regards to the answers that they provide. And I feel that was also a difficulty for me where when I, I was asking the questions, I didn't want, you know, the data to be skewed. And um, so just asking the questions for me, I also felt like, because they would come back to me sometimes with a, with a, just to clarify what I was saying, but then I found it so difficult to not say, this is how you could answer it. Because then that would yes. influencing the, their answers. Exactly, exactly. Um, that that was something that I really did, like, I really had to think about it, you know, and um, with open-ended questions and it, the qualitative nature of the study, you have to phrase everything in such a neutral manner that, like you said, you don't influence the participants. Um, so I think it was, I think it was something that we all could learn from, you know, because it, of course, it was a trial and error process, but I think that part specifically was because I think I rewrote my questions probably like three times just to make sure that I really was posing them in the most neutral manner possible, but also not so vague that they don't actually know what I'm asking, you know, because I think for us as OT students and soon to be occupational therapists, it's difficult to not make use of medical lingo and, you know, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So phrasing it in manners that, the participants would understand in layman's terms was also quite a challenge i'm not sure if you might have experienced the same yeah definitely because you know we always speak about advocating for 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 ot and you know making use of ot literature and then you have something where you you know you're making use of um, ot literature and you have to ask other individuals and i you know, can't necessarily make use of all this ot lingo that we we, we tend to use yes exactly exactly so, um, Cara, can you take us through the steps that, um, you know, you had to take having to find these university participants with, with pets? Was it difficult or, you know, you knew a few people that you could reach out to? So, you know, I think um, the sampling process was interesting because a lot of the stuff that we had to do for this research um, that we had to conduct you know, we got taught in class in one way that it has to be done and has to be done in a professional manner and there's a certain way of recruiting your participants. But now with the social distancing regulations that we had, it was so different. You know, we had to look at what we were taught and then adapt everything. But luckily, we are in the business of adaptations, right? Yeah. So (laughs) the sampling process was definitely interesting. But what I ended up doing was using 
purposive sampling and snowball sampling. So I made contact with an acquaintance of mine that um, I found was a valuable candidate for a participant because she was both a dog owner and a veterinary physiotherapy student. So of course she did have some knowledge, well, a lot of knowledge in relation to animals, um, specifically, you know, dogs as pets and horses and such. And then she was able to put me in contact with two of her classmates that were also students at the same college. However, these classmates had different pets. So the one had um, rats, a dog, and she was caring for a python. And then the other participant had a horse. So then I already had three out of my five participants that were all studying um, veterinary physiotherapy. But then I also made contact with two other acquaintances that were not students at the um, at this college, just to ensure that I was avoiding any chance of skewed data. Mm-hmm. So in total, I ended up with five participants that came from a variety of contexts and that owned a variety of pets. So yeah, that was the sampling process. So with these participants, what were those common feelings um, um, that they shared? Um, so it was definitely, it was a lot to, you know, go through the data and to engage in the thematic analysis. But this process reaped five themes, which I think will most definitely explain my answer to that question in the best way. So the first theme was the way that these participants engaged in their formal tertiary education. So as being students at a college or university or a technicon or whatever, and how that changed in relation to their um, experiences of COVID-19. And then the second theme was about how the participants were emerging adults. So if you look at their psychosocial stage of development, as you know, um, students falling between the age of 18 and 24, for example, are emerging adults and how they experienced this life stage throughout COVID-19. And then they spoke about how they had a lack of autonomy and their occupational choices and they had to socialize virtually and they were eating in unusual eating patterns you know, that type of stuff. And then when it came to the themes that were relevant to um, the overall topic, the one of the themes was animal companionship influences on well-being during COVID-19. So this is where um, there were three categories that were related to this specific theme. And the first was physical well-being, where the participants stated that, you know, if you have a dog or a horse, a pet that requires a lot of energy expenditure, then that positively benefited the physical well-beings of the patient, excuse me, the participants. So they spoke about the adrenaline rushes that they got and the release of endorphins and the positive um, impacts that that had on the emotional well-beings. And then, of course, the second category was emotional well-being, where the participants spoke about how um, being around these pets reminded them of something greater than themselves and how, you know, they were able to obtain a healthier emotional state throughout the lockdown period. And then the third category for that was mental well-being, which of course speaks to the symptoms that people experience of psychiatric illnesses and how, for example, um, being in a depressive episode or being diagnosed with depression was something that was heightened to such an extent throughout the lockdown period that people genuinely really did struggle, but also how their pets then 
had a positive effect on this. And then my last two themes were, um, they were inspired by my research supervisor that guided me in the process of making use of occupational science um, throughout my study. And basically occupational science consists of meaning, function and form. And then those that were relevant to the study was meaning. Um, so the participants spoke about the meaningful experiences that they had with their pets. And what they commonly said was that they felt that their pets were able to show them empathy and that even though they were all dissimilar beings and that, you know, it's a human and an animal, they still found similarities between one another and they found that meaningful. And then they also said that they felt appreciated by their pets, um, you know, just by the small gestures that they have and that if your dog decides to sit on your lap and not someone else's lap, how special that made them feel, you know? And then the last theme was about functional experiences that they had throughout their animal companionship experiences. And the categories related to this were how people felt that social participation with their pets was something completely different to social participation with humans and how this benefited them. And they realized that, you know, through having their pets in a time of the lockdown period where so much adaptation is necessary, they felt that their pets aided them in being able to be adaptable because, you know, they now had to think of new ways to entertain their, their pets and new ways of stimulating their pets. If, for example, it was um, a border collie that is a very intelligent breed of dog that needs a lot of physical and mental stimulation. And then the last category related to function was how the participants were able to learn skills that they felt they could use in future when caring for others. So this could be related to child rearing or possibly taking care of their parents as they age. And they've, they've genuinely felt that in learning the skills that they had in taking care of their pets, they would be able to apply this in future. Oh, wow. You know, now that you've elaborated on, you know, the, the benefits of having a pet, I now understand the recommendation that you made in your study about, you know, occupational therapists working alongside or collaborating with um, animal shelters um, for a community. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So that that's definitely, um, it was one of the recommendations that I felt was quite, I was a bit nervous about making it simply because it's, it's a very broad and bold statement to make, but it's very difficult to implement. But it's definitely something that could be considered, you know, because if you, th if you just think about how many animal shelters are around, even just in the Western Cape, and so many abandoned pets, you know, um, and how many of them end up being put down simply because they just can't be kept in the places for um, an extended period of time. So then I started thinking, um, one of my friends helped me write this recommendation because she I was kind of brainstorming with her and she just spoke to me about, you know, why don't you say something like this where you can incorporate the field of community occupational therapy and kind of link it with animal assisted therapy. And I was like, okay, let me take a look at this. Let me think about it. And then I came up with this, you know, where you could possibly collaborate with a shelter and have sessions in the communities with these pets and possibly have some of the community members adopt these pets so that they can reap all the 
well-being benefits that it that comes with owning a pet. Mm. So you speak of, you know, speaking to your friend during the lockdown um, about, you know, your research study and you guys just brainstorming ideas. Um, and, you know, with the COVID-19 regulations, we were all in lockdown and we, were, we had to self, um, um, you know, isolate and social distance rather, sorry. Um, so why would you say that social participation is an important part of, of, of a person's life and what influence does it have on us? So I, I've heard this phrase many times where someone says that humans are social beings. Mm. And I genuinely do believe in that. And I genuinely agree with that because I think we as a species thrive on a sense of belonging. You know, we always look at when we write recommendations for our patients, one of the biggest things we look at is how will their community, um, how will their community reintegration occur? How will they find their place among those that are important to them? How will, um, you know, how will a patient with some sort of disability, how will they operate within their social circles? Will they, will their friends understand it? Will they not, you know? And I think it's important to note that it has been scientifically proven that socialization is incredibly important for health and well-being. And this is something that we as OTs also advocate for. Um, and then again, if you look at Erickson's stages of psychosocial development, I always refer back to this because this was one of the biggest um, factors in psychology that we learned as first and second years. Because every life stage has some sort of issue through which individuals need to work to successfully progress to the next developmental stage, right? But one thing that all these stages have in common is that there is some sort of social interaction with others that has to occur. Mm. And I think that says a lot because social interaction is one of the biggest things that I don't want to say define us, but I think that definitely help to transform who we become as people. And whether you do this over social media or whether you do this in person, it doesn't matter. But I do think that social participation is an area of occupation for a reason. You know, it's it, it gets recognized as an occupation because it is that important. I totally agree with you. Um, and you know, now we've basically spoken about both the benefits of having a pet as well as just social interaction with other individuals. Um, so would you say that having a pet has the same effect as having like human social interaction or are those like two different... Um, are there two different aspects to that? You know, I think, I think in relation to my own understanding of it and also looking at the existing literature on human-to-animal bonds, mm -hmm. you can say that there are similarities and, you know, as much as human-to-human -human social interaction is beneficial to health and well-being, it can be equally, if not more, detrimental to health and well-being because... You know, there's, there's a lot of um, hurt and pain that can occur through social interactions that are unpleasant. However, with what the literature states about human to animal bonds, the socialization that occurs between humans and animals is deemed more beneficial in some um, authors' opinions because it gets considered as a meaningful bond where Yes, you can't hold an actual verbal conversation with animals, but the 
experience of empathy between humans and animals is near tangible. You know, it's something that you can't really explain unless you've really had an opportunity to experience that. And I think if there was ever a time where we would be, where this would become more evident to us as humans, it would be now, you know, because this pandemic, I feel, has truly, it's taken its toll on the planet and it's taken its toll on those that inhabit it. And I think if you have had the privilege to engage in animal companionship throughout this pandemic and throughout the lockdown, you would truly understand what it is that I'm saying now, where you just genuinely, yes, there is a bond between humans to humans, but animals do not judge. They do not engage in prejudice. They do not engage in discrimination. And these are all things that only humans do to one another, you know? So I think that's something that a lot of my participants also stated is that they feel genuinely comfortable and at peace with their interactions with their pets, even if that means that they can't physically talk to them, but they know that their pets love them for them and for, um, you know, there's just this reciprocal empathy. And that's something that I think is unique to human to animal bonds. Mm. So, you know, my uncle has a, a dog named Missy and I know whenever I visit, you know, I just, just say what's on my mind and, you know, I have the dog next to me and I feel 10 times better just after this. Um, I know the dog won't respond, but <laughs> I still speak to the dog. Um, and it's so true. Yeah. I just feel a sense of peace, if I can say, put it like that, um, just after um, having spent time with your pet. Exactly, exactly. And this is also um, this is also related to one of the other recommendations that I made at the end of my study where I said that, you know, the definition of social participation could possibly be revised mm -hmm. because currently it states that social participation occurs only with friends, family, colleagues, community members, but in no way does it include social participation that you reap from being in animal companionship. And I think, like I said, it might not be something that if someone reads that, their first thought might be, oh no, but that sounds a bit ridiculous or far-fetched. But like you also said now, it's something that you can't really explain unless you've experienced that. And I think, you know, omitting that from the definition of social participation in itself is, I don't think that's right. I think it's something that should be considered to be revised because I think especially now after this pandemic, it's just so much more awareness that we have with regards to how our pets or any animal companionship genuinely can positively influence us and how it can be seen as social participation. Mm. So how has, how have your pets actually, you know, positively influenced you during, you know, this lockdown period? I think anyone that knows me well will know that my pets are genuinely my greatest joy. There is no warmer feeling that I've ever experienced. Okay, well, I, I, I can say that now because I'm a young person and I <laughs> am not currently a mother. Um, but it is the warmest feeling I have ever experienced in my short time on Earth when my three fur babies excitedly whine and run up to me when I come home after a long day. And I think although different pets might not react in the exact same manner, 
if you are a pet owner, you could vouch that you truly do feel loved and appreciated for who you are. Um, and there is no limit to the love that a pet can show you if you show them love, you know? And I think that was one of the most positive influences that they had on me throughout this lockdown period. Because like I said, I think many of us struggled with our own mental health throughout that incredibly challenging time. And just having that constant reminder from your pet that you are enough, you are loved, everything will be okay. Let me come cuddle you. You know, it will all be fine. I think that is genuinely priceless. And it was very much helpful throughout that time. Yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely imagine just having like three little puppies running to you. Ah, oh, how I wish I had dogs. <laughs> oh, girl, maybe you can get one in concert, hey? I think it's something many people do. Um, it's such a, I think that in itself is a big challenge. And I think that's something that you could look into if you would be interested. I think it's certainly something that I would look into because also I don't want to be living alone in, you know, maybe a, a town that I've never been in before. So that's certainly something I look forward to doing. Yes, definitely. So Cara, we've come to the end of um, the, the interview and, you know, you speak um, with so much passion when it comes to occupational therapy um, so where do you see yourself going or branching into within this profession? You know, I've always seen myself as working with physical dysfunction. And I think, you know, our, our profession is so broad and there are so many possibilities, but that is genuinely the one broad field that has really spoken to me. And I think it might be because I am immensely passionate and fascinated and in awe with the human body and its complexities you know I think it's probably the most impressive um divine design you know it's just great and I think that if I could have a role in enabling an individual to make the most of their bodily functions post injury or disease or whatever it is that is inhibiting inhibiting them to engage in their highest level of independence then that would genuinely result in possibly the most purpose I would ever feel on this earth. So I, I'm not quite decided as to which specific field, but those that I am very interested in are um, neuro rehab, very much interested in that. And I had the privilege of engaging in a block um, earlier this year. So that was really great. And I'm also very interested in acute pediatrics um, you and I were at Tigerberg together. And I think, um, I'm not sure if you remember, but I was in acute peds there. Yes. And that was really one of the most rewarding few weeks of my life. Um, and then the third physical field that I'm very interested in is hand therapy. But if I'm honest, I genuinely don't know how I would ever decide because I think I love all three equally. <laughs> so, yeah, difficult decisions lying ahead. <laughs> Very difficult decisions indeed. But I, I think that's like, like you said, you know, in OT, you can literally branch into anything. So you could find yourself doing a bit of acute peds here and then going into neuro and, and maybe hands um, along the way. And um, also you're quite, you're still very young. Um, so you still yes. have time to go into all three of these um, um, different fields and you might even fall in love with something else. You know, you never know. That's so true, hey? 
very very true i mean i've always been a planner but like i said i i can't decide right now there's so much that can happen there's so many factors in life that still need to come into play so we will definitely see what happens yeah and i think 2020 has also shown us that you you, you can plan but your plans can certainly change oh yes 100 percent mm-hmm. So if anyone is looking to maybe get a hold of you, where can they find you? Um, I think the easiest would be to use my personal email address. Mm-hmm. So cara.fanasvegen, one word, at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I would be more than happy to answer any questions that anyone has about the study. Um, if anyone would like to contact me for any reason regarding the study, please feel free. Thank you so much, Cara, for your time. Thank you for having me, Kanya. It was absolutely wonderful. And I do want to congratulate you on this incredible platform that you have created. Um, I think it is possibly the coolest lockdown project that I've ever heard of. And I very much do look up to you. So well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, man. enlightening us on how they conducted research during a pandemic. I really hope that you ladies have your articles printed out and framed. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, do head on over to our social media pages at The Adventures of OT on Instagram and give us a follow. And head on over to our Facebook page at The Adventures of OT and follow us there too. Now, if you believe you have three friends who may enjoy this podcast, do share it with them too. And we really love your engagement on our DMs, so please continue to do so. Now, that is it from me, your host, Casey Fords. Until next time.